Filthy Henry, the Fairy Detective, Chapter 13. Everyone in the cafe kept looking over at her when they thought she wouldn't notice. But as always in that sort of situation, she did notice, right when they looked at her. Causing that uncomfortable cycle of sly eye contact, embarrassed look, looking at something else, and then more sly eye contact. Shelley knew full well why people were staring at her. Since entering the cafe, she had not stopped crying. She had just taken up a small table by the window, ordered a coffee, and sat there as tears streamed down her face. To make things worse, Shelley was not entirely sure what was upsetting her more. That Kitty Purry was dead, or that Filthy Henry had hidden the truth from her. Sure, you could argue that he had some misguided sense of chivalry, but what right did he have for not telling her? True, the fairy detective had brought her into a magical and wonderful world, but that wasn't an excuse for lying to her. It was not like she was some little orphan kid that had just found out she had magical powers and was destined to fight the worst evil the world had ever seen. That sort of stuff only happened in fairy tales. Quickly, Shelley flicked on her fairy vision, just to not get caught off guard if a fairy did suddenly appear in front of her. The cafe was fairly busy, packed with young college students and late-night shoppers, but apparently magical creature free. She left her enhanced sight on and looked out the window. It certainly felt like Filthy Henry had betrayed her, regardless of what he may or may not have intended. After all, if they were not friends, or at least acquaintances, then there was the small fact that she had hired him to find her lost cat. She was his employer. He should have told her the moment he found Kitty Purry. Although why had Kitty Purry been in the warehouse along with two dead men? Kitty had been old, rarely going for walks on her own that took longer than half an hour. The warehouse had been down in the docklands, at least an hour from her home by car. Who knows how long it would have taken a cat to walk there. Across the street, three fairy folk were coming out of the Eason's bookstore. Each of them had two large shopping bags in their hands, bulging with books. They came down the steps and crossed the road to the median, walking along with the rest of the shoppers but they had come close enough for Shelley to see that these three were not just fairy folk, they were stokers. Even through her tear-brimmed eyes, that much was obvious. She watched them walk down the street until they passed from sight, then turned back and stared at the empty chair across from her. Buying books in bulk was not something strange. People did it all the time. One of Shelley's ex-boyfriends had once blown an entire wage packet for a week in a bookstore, without even realising it, then tried to pass off the big book of serial killers, as a present he had intended to give her for her birthday. Not that he had forgotten her birthday, nothing like that. He just knew how much she loved serial killers. Presumably, fairy folk enjoyed reading books just like humans did. But still, there was something odd about three stokers walking around the city carrying big bags of books that seemed a little strange to Shelley. Not that a lot of what she had seen over the past few days was normal. She was just developing different shades of normal a gradient of oddness. Purely on a whim, Shelley gathered up her belongings and left the cafe, heading across the street and walking into the bookstore. It wasn't as nicely laid out as chapters, but like every bookstore, there were shelves along every wall, overladen with books. 
Given it was Thursday, which meant late-night shopping in the city, the store was still quite busy, eager readers judging books by their covers before purchasing them. Shelley passed by all the displays and special offer stands, searching for one particular item that she knew had to be in the store. On the ground floor, just behind the escalators, Shelley found what she was looking for. The list of current bestsellers, displayed on a computer screen, like in every other store. She scanned the titles quickly and spotted what she sought straight away, her hunch becoming a full-blown theory in the process. Sitting happily at the number five spot on the list was Dracula by Bram Stoker. I'd better tell Filthy Henry, Shelley said to herself. Something isn't making sense here. She turned around to leave the store and collided into somebody who had been standing behind her. Apologies, my dear, a smooth-toned voice said as a strong hand caught Shelley by her elbow, preventing her from falling over. Sorry, Shelley said. I should have looked where I was going. Cold blue eyes stared at her from beneath a black top hat. Abe St. Ochre smiled his fang-filled smile, releasing his grip on Shelley's elbow when it was clear she was steady on her feet once more. In his other hand he held a stack of books, each one identical to the others in the pile. You sure do like your work, Shelley said, smiling nervously and indicating the multiple copies of Dracula with a nod of her head. Oh, this, my little hobby, St. Ochre said, his gaze drifting up to the list of bestsellers. As he read down through the titles, St. Ochre's smile grew, showing more teeth. Well, isn't that something, he said, smiling to himself. Still not there yet, but... He didn't finish the sentence. He just left the word hanging in the air as he looked at the display of bestsellers. Shelley looked over her shoulder with the fairy vision, relieved to see that the shop was filled with humans. Something about St. Ochre's manner was making her want to be somewhere else at that moment. Somewhere that had lots of holy water mixed with crushed garlic contained in crucifix-shaped bottles. I'll leave you to your shopping, Shelley said, looking back at Abe St. Ochre and smiling. It was nice bumping into you. <laughs> it was a nervous laugh. But that was the best she could manage at that moment. She walked away from the vampire author towards the side entrance of the store that led out to Middle Abbey Street. Pushing on the glass door, she ran down the steps quickly and looked about. She could see some fairy folk, but nobody was paying her any attention. She turned right and ran down the pavement towards Filthy Henry's office. Pounding on a front door generally means only one thing. In Filthy Henry's experience, people who pounded on doors rarely had the occupant's best interests at heart. He walked out from his office and leaned over the banisters, looking down the rickety staircase to the front door on street level. Open the door, you lying idiot, the pounder shouted, each word getting a bang on the door to really emphasise it. Shelley? he shouted down. Why? How many other people have you lied to in the last 24 hours? she said. Filthy Henry would never have admitted it, even under torture, but he was happy to know that Shelley was outside. He ran down the stairs, pulled back the bolts, unlocked the door, which Shelley was still pounding upon like a woodpecker on steroids, and opened it. The bottom of a fist came hurtling towards his face. Filthy Henry fell backwards, landing awkwardly on the stairs and staring up at Shelley. Oh, she said, her fist still in the air. I didn't actually think you were going to open the door. Well, uh, it's open now, he said. Shelley did not wait for any further conversation. She darted inside, spun around, slammed the door shut and slid the bolts into place. He noticed she was panting. 
Clearly she had been running. But why? Unless this whole white lie with a hint of black had really annoyed her to the point where she wanted to cause him physical harm. Right, she said, resting her back against the door. No more crap from you, okay? Filthy Henry simply nodded, moving so that he was sitting on the bottom of the stairs. What's wrong? Shelley stared intently at him, making him squirm a little on the step. It was one of those stairs that teachers used until a naughty child cracked and admitted to putting a thumbtack on their chair. I want you to tell me the truth from here on out, Shelley said. For a start, what's your last name? Nobody's just called Filthy Henry. The very detective grimaced and scratched absent-mindedly at his ear. Ask me anything else, he said. I'll tell you the truth, honest. Just I never tell anybody my last name. Why not? she asked, crossing her arms and staring even harder, if such a thing were possible. The fairy detective sighed. Despite being somebody that dealt with matters of a private nature for others, he had never enjoyed sharing his own private matters. I'm a half-breed, Filthy Henry said, rubbing his hands together. Something that the fairy world does not like to exist. If people knew my surname, they could track my family. Basically, I don't tell anybody my full name so that it's harder to find out where I come from. All right? Shelley shrugged. Fair enough. Then how about this? What sort of fairy are you? Then I'm going to tell you a little theory that I've been working on about those two bodies in the warehouse. Got it? The fairy detective nodded once again, purely because he figured doing anything else would have been the worst course of action to take. A common misconception of vampires is they can blend into shadows. Abe St. Ogre had only learned after his transformation that this was one ability the bloodsuckers did not actually have. It was a myth created by humans to explain how a vampire could so easily disappear from sight. The reality was that a vampire was simply very good at hiding right out in the open. People stood out less when doing exactly the same as those around them. When you stood in a doorway, trying to hide in a shadow, that was when you drew attention to yourself. If you just walked down the street, casually, without doing anything out of the ordinary at all, you blended right in. Which was how Abe St. Ochre was able to watch Shelley from across the street as she banged on the door to Henry's office. Filthy Henry, as the other fairy folk called him. The vampire author walked along with a crowd of late-night shoppers, a little slower than those around him, and cast a glance over at the woman. He saw her banging, shouting, the door opening and her running inside, all without being seen, all hiding in plain sight. It was unfortunate that Shelley had run to the fairy detective. Abe liked him. He had always felt a small sense of kindred spirit. Both of them were outcasts in this fairy world, albeit Abe St. Ochre was accepted a little more than Filthy Henry. But there was a risk that Shelley was telling him some crazy things. Things that could result in the fairy detective getting a little more curious than would be good for him. Which meant that Shelley and Henry had just become two more bumps in the road that would need to be sorted, flattened out on his journey to true immortality. A dishevelled youth dressed in a hideous tracksuit with bright yellow running shoes approached St. Ochre as he continued on his way, turning to walk down Liffey Street. Uh, some spare change for the bus, bud? the youth asked. Abe St. Ogre smiled at the perfect example of inner-city youth, his fangs extending slightly. 
I've something even better for you, he said, placing a hand on the dirt-encrusted shoulder of the youth and gripping it tightly. Much better. Shelley had taken the seat behind the desk. She sat with her hands out in front of her on the wooden surface, fingers interlaced. Her breathing was slow, controlled. A stare that could have bored a hole through a cinder block in five seconds focused firmly on Filthy Henry. With the fairy vision turned on, it gave her a slightly menacing, demonic look. The fairy detective was sitting in the chair that Leprechaun had created, loathing the need to use it himself. Magical energies were still crackling throughout the leather, the creation spell still in effect in a small manner. How he had wound up not sitting in his own chair behind the desk was a little unclear. Shelley had just demanded that they have a serious conversation, and then taken the best seat in the house. So, Shelley said, go on then. Just what sort of fairy are you? Unless you expect me to believe that a half-breed is now actually a fairy race. Filthy Henry groaned and ran a hand across the stubble on his chin. This was the sort of conversation he had hoped to avoid forever. It was the reason he had stayed alone all this time. Now here was this woman who had a latent ability to see fairy kind, asking the one question he had dodged for years. Giving her fairy vision was probably the worst decision he had ever made. The fairy world had no need of human tourists, let alone ones that asked questions. But she had asked a question, and he had agreed to answer them. This level of honesty rapidly becoming the second worst decision he had ever made. I'm, uh, I'm a half-fairy, he said, crossing his arms and slouching down in the chair. A half-breed. Shelley shrugged, moving her head left and right to indicate that the answer was not satisfactory. I'm, uh, I'm half-human and half-fairy, which makes me somewhat unique in this world. How so? she asked, still not happy with the answer. Well, fairy folk have strict rules about breeding with humans. They don't. But it has been known to happen over the years, and the result is a, a, a half-breed like me. A filthy half-breed, to use the term of endearment that full fairies have. We're less than stokers, because at least a stoker is a turned human, not a half and half. The blue glow had faded from Shelley's eyes, seemingly of its own accord. She made a silent O oh with her mouth. So that's why they call you half-breed, she said. But if it's possible to have a cross-race baby, why are you claiming to be unique? Because I am, Filthy Henry said. Most half-breeds don't live past six months once the fairy folk find out. They tend to clean up little accidents quickly. You ever hear of a changeling? Yeah, they get a mention in that book you made me read. Babies made by fairies that die after a short while? Well, the book is half right, the fairy detective said. The changelings are actually a race of fairies that just so happen to look exactly like human infants for their entire lives. It's hilariously disconcerting when you see a creature that looks like a four-month-old child sculling beers, smoking and gambling at a poker game. They have no real magical powers, save for one. A changeling can die whenever it wants to. Shelley made the appropriate facial expression upon hearing this description, an expression that suggested the person was after vomiting in their mouth and swallowing it back down again without meaning to do either. Do they just die? she asked, horrified. Yep. Plus, they charge the other fairy folk for this service. 
See, a half-breed isn't allowed to live as it puts the whole fairy world at risk. It's against the rules. To ensure little accidents that do happen don't survive, the fairy parent, usually the father, who has slept with a human without revealing his true nature, hires a changeling and swaps the real child with a fake. The changeling then dies and the mother mourns the death of her little bundle of joy. Only thing is, once a changeling is placed into the earth, they come back to life. Then a mate comes along and digs them back out and off they go. Job done. Of course, that was before people started cremating bodies. The changelings really didn't see that one coming. He laughed. It was a funny story, depending on how you looked at it. A race that had evolved the ability to literally play dead, being undone by people who wanted to sprinkle ashes on a river instead of bury the person in the ground. Shelley looked like she was about to throw up. What happens to the children that the fairy folk steal? Filthy Henry winced. Ah, it's probably better that you don't know that part, he said. Anyway, my mother hid me before the swap could be made. Once you survive your first year, the rules say you're to be left alone. So here I am, ninety-eight years later, reviled by every fairy that walks the land, particularly changelings. They sort of see me as their very own white whale. Too late to do anything about me, but a constant reminder of one who got away. But that's how I got the name Filthy Henry. I'm a filthy abomination as far as the fairy world is concerned. Silence fell between them as Shelley stared at him. You're ninety-eight? You look like you're in your early thirties. How? Well, I age slower because of the fairy blood in me. It's why I'm the only human that can do real magic. Others that claim to be able to are just channeling the powers of a fairy they somehow captured. Bombshells of truth have always had the same effect on people when they hear them. They're unsure whether to fully believe the truth they've just been told. And Shelley was no exception. She just sat still in the chair, silent. He decided to let her mind take in what had been said, absorbing it like a sponge of bewilderment. Being told the truth about somebody is hard enough without finding out they're nearly a century old, but don't look it. He felt a little naked right then, having revealed more of himself than he ever had to somebody else. Now all he had to do was wait for the inevitable disgust that would come from yet another person who looked down on a half-breed. In that respect, humans and fairies had a lot more in common than either race realised. So which half are you then? Shelley asked, a hint of a smile on her lips. Is it like a mermaid sort of thing? Then again, sometimes people reacted in an entirely new and profoundly stupid way. Filthy Henry could not help but smile. Look, I'm sorry I didn't tell you about Kitty sooner, he said. Honestly, but I was sort of enjoying having somebody around that I could talk to while working a case. There are not a lot of fairy folk that look favourably on me. If I had one wish, it would be that I was a full-blown fairy. Really? And why not a human? Shelley asked. The fairy detective laughed. You've seen how cool the fairy world is, right? Why the hell would I want to turn my back on that and become a human? Shelley shifted into a more comfortable position on her chair, or his chair. I suppose, but I haven't forgiven you for not telling me. I hired you to find my cat, not to protect my feelings. Filthy Henry was about to respond with a witty retort, but his sentence was rudely interrupted by the sound of the front door downstairs exploding inwards. Something had smashed into it from outside, sending the door careening up the steps. 
it broke a few banister poles as it travelled upwards, before crashing to a stop on the landing outside the office door. Filthy Henry and Shelley were both on their feet, the fairy detective running to the top of the stairs and looking down. It was a scene of destruction below. The door had been hit so hard that sections of wall were missing where once hinges had been. A cloud of dust and dirt hung in the air, clearing slowly to reveal a large hole in the wall. Bricks and mortar fell away, enjoying a freedom they had never known. Shelley had come out of the office and was standing behind the fairy detective, holding tightly onto his arm. What the hell was that? she asked. He didn't answer, instead turning up his fairy vision and staring below. Any magical spell that powerful would have left a signature behind, a pointer to whoever had cast it. Colours from the real world faded into the background as the magical energies of the fairy world replaced them. Through the cloud of dust, Filthy Henry could see no magical tendrils of power that indicated a spell attack. However, there was a bright red pulsing silhouette standing on the street, framed by the destroyed doorway. Ah, crap, Filthy Henry said in a whisper. As the dust settled, it showed a stoker, newly turned, standing outside with his fists in front of him. He was dressed in a yellow tracksuit, which surely would have got him a ticket from the fashion police. Bite marks still fresh on the side of his neck. Filthy Henry could see the raw magical energies rippling through the stoker's body. It had only been turned in the last fifteen minutes. Its body was still full of power. Stokers, vampires in general, were the most animalistic when they had just been changed from human into one of the undead. Power coursing through their once fragile bodies gave them the illusion that anything was possible. But more than that, the freshly awakened desire for blood was overpowering, pushing all logical thinking aside. Until that bloodthirst was sated for the first time, the new stoker was a crazed animal with supernatural powers. I've got to get her out of here, Filthy Henry thought. The fairy detective knew he had enough magic stored up to handle himself against one newborn stoker, but not enough to magic both himself and Shelley to safety. Teleportation for two full-grown adults was a power-sucking spell. At least if Shelley was elsewhere, it would make dealing with the hungry baby stoker that little bit easier. Mainly because Filthy Henry would not have to worry about protecting himself and Shelley at the same time. Without breaking his gaze from the stoker below, Filthy Henry reached behind him and placed a hand on Shelley. There was no time to worry about where she was going, just so long as she was gone. Sweet bugger, Filthy Henry said, sending the spell towards her. A flash of blue from behind, coupled with the lack of fingernails digging into his arm, let Filthy Henry know the spell had worked. Now it was just him and a newborn stoker. The perfect way to spend a Thursday evening. You know you can't come in here, right? He shouted down. Why not you bleeding muppet? The stoker asked, pointing at the relocated door at the top of the stairs. I was able to knock better than the big bad wolf and send your door in, wasn't I? Well, anybody can kick a door in, but a vampire has to be invited in inside someone's home before they can enter. Meaning, well, you're stuck out there, Filthy Henry said, keeping a straight face the entire time. Doubt crept into the stoker's expression. He looked up and down the street before frowning and leading in through the doorway a little. Do you, uh, do you want to invite me in there so I can do my job? Not likely, Filthy Henry said. Ah, here, the stoker said, gesticulating wildly. It swung a fist towards the wall, missed, 
lost balance and fell crashing to the ground. Lying on the rubble and dirt, the stoker looked up at Filthy Henry. Thought you said I couldn't come in. No, I said you have to be invited inside a person's home to enter. My apartment's the next floor up. Anyway, I gotta run. Running was viewed by many warriors, fighters and manly men as a cowardly act. But that view was subjective. It was only cowardly to the person who wanted to cause harm to somebody. For the person doing the running, it was putting into practice Darwin's concept of survival of the fittest. If you were fit and able to run well, then you had a much better chance of surviving a fight you ran away from. Filthy Henry was a huge believer in this school of thought. Right then he just wished that his running partner was not a hungry stoker out for blood. Filthy Henry, The Fairy Detective is a novel by Derek Power. Other Filthy Henry novels are currently available to buy on Amazon Kindle. This audiobook version was narrated by Niall Milton.